need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. back to Spielberg chronologically this is the podcast where we go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order my name is Jeff and with me as always is Eric hey how's it going Jeff it's going well how you doing man I'm doing all right doing all right good good well uh we um I'm gonna just tip my hand I I think these we're in a trilogy of just bangers <laughs> right out of the gate there boom bangers like the last three movies have been the best streak i think in his career so okay just just to refresh everybody what were these last three movies horse movie horse movie yeah yes we both loved horse movie we did love lincoln. Horse movie. yes we both love lincoln now i don't know how you feel but I loved Bridge of Spies. It I, might even be my favorite of the trilogy. I, I don't know. I also loved Bridge of Spies. It's I really so liked good. it. Yeah, it is. I, there's so much, so much to dig into on this movie. The whole, the whole time I was watching, I was just like, "Oh, this is gonna make a really good podcast." Like, <laughs> there's so much to talk about with this movie. It's really good. Yeah, I and looking going way back in the day when we're thumbing through all the movies, I'm like, Princess, what the hell is this? Oh, he's gonna negotiate some shit. Oh God! And then you watch it, and it's riveting and amazing characters and intrigue and drama and danger. But uh, it's 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 funny because like the middle section of the movie is just a series of meetings, right? Like he's just going from meeting to meeting. And right. every single one of the meetings is like fascinating. Like you're just glued to it because the acting is so good and the writing is so good and the characters are so good. You're just kind of like, oh, oh, what is this East German diplomat going to be like? You know, <laughs> it's, There's it's just a, a layer of tension over everything, right? Yeah. Even when he's not doing these meetings in foreign countries, there's a layer of tension in his home life, right? There's a layer of tension everywhere. Um, and I, I don't know where to start. Like, there's so many scenes that just, like, when he first gets tailed by the CIA guy, that scene at the table, awesome. Like, the, the introduction to our main character where they're negotiating some sort of insurance payout. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's back up a little bit. Let's back up a little bit. I'm sorry. We're, yeah, we're, we're jumping ahead of our usual uh, our usual pattern. What's what's your history with Bridge of Spies? None whatsoever. None. The shortest possible. I don't. I didn't know it existed um, because I just was out of the loop at this time. And to be honest, this is not the type of movie I would go and make a point of watching. Yeah, yeah. It's just not. You know, I'm not big into like political thrillers and, you know, it just it generally maybe I should be. Maybe I need to change my tune. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I feel the same way. Like, like maybe I should like maybe I just need to acknowledge it. 
that I am like, maybe I've just hit that age. I don't know, but I feel like I've always enjoyed movies like this, but these days, like as I get older, I really enjoy movies like this. You know, there's something to be said about like the demographics of what you enjoy. And as you get older, like right. how, how you kind of expand out and be like, Oh, this is just a movie with a bunch of people talking. I loved it. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I feel like this is a genre that I need to start paying more attention to than I have in the past, you know? Um, yeah, like there's the early Harrison Ford stuff that I never, like Clear and Present Danger, oh, never watched that. Those are some bangers. Those are really good. You should right. watch Right, and I just, because they don't, they never appealed to me that much. Yeah. I don't care political stuff. I'm like, out of. I don't care. But I don't know if it's been, if I've been... Uh, seasoned by the the Spielberg line of films where I come to expect a certain level of excellence. And as I'm watching Bridge of Spies, I'm like, this is his wheelhouse. Like, this is where, and I think a part of it is because of the previous two movies, Lincoln is a period piece around World War, not Lincoln, horse movie is around World War One. Then civil war with lincoln and it's a period piece and it's like all that political intrigue and the debates in the house and all that and then bridge of spies is a cold war political thriller and he just he just knows how to do it he just just knows knows how to to make this stuff and it's are 100 percent correct he does so my my history with the film is almost the same as yours like it, it came out i did not go see it in the theater um i the it feels like this movie is older than it is to me because I watched it. It came out in 2015, right? So that's like eight. This movie's like eight years old. I watched right. it. It turns out that I remembered nothing about this movie. Like I had completely forgotten that it was a Cold War piece. I'd forgotten all the stuff about the Berlin Wall. Like I forgot even that it was a period piece. I thought that maybe it was taking place in present day. So when it started up this time, I was like, oh, like you know, I I did remember. The two primary characters. Um, but yeah, yeah. And then the other thing that just kind of rings a bell in my head is that Mark Rylance won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. And at the time, I was like, who the hell is that? Like, who is that guy? You know? Um, and then I watched the movie and was like, oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I came... It's I. It was almost as though I was coming into this cold this time. That's how much I had forgotten about this movie. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why it didn't make an impression on me. Maybe I watched it hungover. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it much more, and thought it was way more memorable this time around. Yeah. Um. And this is one where I I don't know like what mood I was in, but I just put it on, and I and I made sure I like it sometimes it's hard not to read through your phone and then other times it's like just so easy to just sit through and 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 be told a story and i don't think it can be understated that tom hanks is is a grandmaster of his craft this might be my new favorite tom hanks film I, i definitely i i mean forrest gump is up there and all but i don't know that anyway I, I I definitely believe this is my favorite Tom Hanks Spielberg crossover. Okay, I like it more than Catch Me If You Can and Terminal. Um, that's a big statement. That's a big statement with Catch Me If You Can. That's uh, right because that's excellent. But I really feel like this is Tom Hanks' best work because of what the content is. Right, like the story 
in Catch Me If You Can is so entertaining anyway, and and frankly, Leo carries that film, um, and Tom Hanks is along for the ride. But in this, he has to do everything right. That I mean, he does have some good co-stars, but largely he's the one selling the inner torment he has of you know leaving his family and going although it's not much he tends to just be like all right let's let's go but like the integrity of doing his job of being the lawyer that protects that uh defends this russian spy and the fact that he's like takes it so seriously you know Everyone plays the patriotism card, and yet he's like, my integrity means more. I've got to do, you know, you got me. They specifically get this guy because he is so good, and he will give him the best possible defense. And then everybody gets pissed when he does it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm rambling. It's no, no. I think you're right. I think I think uh, integrity is one of the primary themes of this movie. Right. Like it, it's not just Tom Hanks's integrity, which you're absolutely 100 percent right. Like he didn't even want the job. But once they give him the job, he is all in on the job because he's like, this, right. is, this is my job. This is what I do. Nobody's going to talk me down. You know, like you're not going to talk me out of doing my very best for this guy. Yeah. But also the integrity of uh, Colonel Abel. Right. Like here. Here's the guy, an opposing uh, factor, an enemy if you will, um, who acts in a very um, honorable, I would say, way, you know, uh, never displays any sort of dishonorable behavior at all, is 100% true to, uh, you know, what his agreement was with his country, you know, is doing his job the best he can. Um, and then you've got, you know, some of the other parties like the American pilot, right. Who is under very difficult circumstances doing the best that he can to maintain his integrity. And, uh, you know, and, and some of the backlash that's kind of hinted at, at the end towards him. Um, so yeah, I think, I, yeah, I think in some ways it's almost a fable of integrity, you know, like it, it's, it's all about, uh, how you can behave no matter where you're from or what your perspective is um, in a way that, that, you know, doesn't shame you, I guess. I yeah. don't know. And, and, and right. The, the character of Rudolph Abel, Abel, who you mentioned played by Mark Rylance, um, who I had seen, he's in an upcoming film and I hated him in it. Like, so I was watching this and I'm like, Man, this guy looks familiar, and I'm enjoying his performance in this, and and I and I do enjoy his performance in Bridge of Spies, and I had to look it up, and he's in Ready Player One, and I hated him in that, but we'll get to that later. But he definitely shows like okay, there's more here than just the whatever he phoned in on that other movie. Um, yeah, but just- there is the whole thing of like, hey. It, it, how would you like your American spies who get captured to be treated, you know, and that sort of thing. And, and just that equality of integrity from the country to say, Hey, we're going to treat the POWs better than our other, you know, our opponents or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's another 
key component of this movie. I mean, like, and not to dig in on the themes too early or anything, but this idea that at this time, at the time that the film is portraying, the United States at least maintained this veneer of integrity in the way that it treated uh it its opponents or or POWs if you will you know it's it's not a it's not what we think of as a traditional POW because it's not a declared war right but the the cold warriors were their own breed regardless the, I, somebody from an enemy state you know um and they 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 kind of put on this dog and pony show to to show you know that they were treating these people fair and equitably you know um i i think a lot of what this movie did for me was make me think about like because it really it really wants to show it really juxtaposes like okay here's the russians and they're throwing the water on the dude and they're keeping him up all night and they're blasting him with the bright lights and they're you know stopping short of well, I guess that's a it's a form of torture. They're torturing yeah, this guy. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're they're torturing this it guy. It may not try. be fully violent, but it's still yeah, mental. Yeah. He doesn't have electrodes on his nuts, but it's it's R- pretty <laughs> it's pretty rough. It work for work on me. Yeah, I'll tell you what you want. <laughs> right. Totally. Put him away. Totally, totally would work on me. Uh and so it ju- kind of juxtaposes that uh very specifically against the images of the CIA coming to pull this guy out of his cell and calling him sir watch your head sir come in the mirror this way sir we're going to an airplane sir you know yeah. um and it, it's interesting because like when this film was made which was 8 years ago the united states is moral high ground that we at least pretended to have was completely out the window right like like that whole thing with the waterboarding and Abu Ghraib and like we fully acknowledged that we were going to take enemy combatants we were going to hold them captive they weren't going to get trials we're just going to indeterminately hold them in this prison for the rest of time nana nana boo boo that's what we're doing we're dicks you know um so to harken back to this time where there was at least this illusion of fair play given yeah. to given to enemy combatants was interesting. And, and I think like maybe part of the film, uh, part of the film's point was, you know, to, to kind of make the United States viewers like consider that, like this is what we maybe had, you know, this is what is for sure lost now. Um, and, and, uh, I don't know. It was, it was very interesting. It immediately got my head turning on those issues because, like, even watching this, I was like, are we really supposed to believe we really treated this guy that well? Like, what happened during that period where he's off screen, you know, where he tells Tom Hanks, I was talked to, they offered me money, you know, like, what really went on there? Were they keeping him awake and throwing water on him? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who knows? But, you and, know? and there's also something to be said for the individual that takes liberties, too, right? Like, maybe most of the people are like, come with us, do do but maybe the guy that brings them food at the mill, you know, spits in it and gives it, you know, there, there's always the individual level. But yeah, poking like him with said, a stick I, through the bars, poking <laughs> him with a stick. Um, but yeah, he definitely is treated better than the American spy who is captured. 
Yeah, which I was wondering, like, there's the the whole lead up to that with this interesting plane that flies above the things, and I'm like, what is going on with this subplot? And then it does go somewhere finally, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it dawned on me very quickly what they were what they were setting up there. I think it was like two scenes in with those pilot guys, and I was like, oh, I see what's going on here. I know, I know where they're going with this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting the casting there. They had Jesse Plemons right there. Right. And he's like kind of in little side role. And then they've got this guy that I've never seen before or at least don't recognize in, in the more major role. Um, it's always kind I of think fun to see actors early the on more, in their career. They captured the more handsome guy, I think, is really what it came down to. Because <laughs> I, mean, I got nothing. To, I think Jesse Plymouth is a great actor. Not the best looking guy in the world, you know, so you capture the tall, dark and handsome guy. And then uh, Plymouth is there for two scenes, and you move on. He's the buddy. Hey, Murph. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Um. So, so, like the 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 whole point is is like he's working for he's like a lawyer for insurance, and Alan Alda pulls him in, and says, "Hey, we need you to do this to defend that Russian spy we just captured," and uh, he's like, "Oh." why me because we want to show that even our enemies like like you said that veneer he wants to show that we give our enemies even the best chance you know like normally you could get just some crummy public defender but no we're going to give him one of the best and uh i one of the things i like is how much it maybe doesn't backfire but how many people he pisses off by doing what he's told and doing what he's asked like we didn't actually think you would try to get evidence thrown out. We didn't actually think you would try to push this to higher courts. You know, we thought you would do your job, get out and be done. But he just very much is like, I've got to do what I have to do integrity wise. Now, how much of that do you think, though, is that he develops a friendship with this spy? Um, There's some, I guess, mutual respect for each other because they both have a similar level of integrity. I think a good amount. I think a really good amount. Like, I think I think these guys hit it off almost immediately, right? And, and it just goes to show it's another Spielberg theme, the the humanity of your enemy, you know? Yeah. Um, which we've come across in lots of films. Uh, Munich, I think, is being the most recent. Um, War Horse. War Horse. Oh, yeah, of course. War Horse. Yeah, yeah it comes up over and over again. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think think that maybe he was so inclined to push the issue because maybe he recognizes a kindred spirit integrity wise right like he insists throughout the film to anybody that'll listen like this dude is a good soldier this guy is doing his job the best he can like he tells the soviets that like no no this is a good like you don't have to worry about this guy like this guy did not break he did not bend he's doing what he's supposed to do and he actually uses that in his defense of the guy to the supreme court like like he's being a good soldier he's doing what he's supposed to do shouldn't we treat him honorably as a result and if we don't what does that say about how other countries will treat our guys you know right um and and so yeah i i think i think that partially it's the integrity issue but i think it's also his appreciation for who this guy is as a human being you know and let's face it like as portrayed in the movie super likable you know like just kind of 
very droll, very quiet, not showy at all. Just kind of went about his spy business, painted his little paintings. <laughs> Gets arrested in a in a you know a white tank top and underpants, his tidy whities Totally, you know. he's cool about it. Like a hundred percent plays it cool. Like that the whole <laughs> sequence where he like tricks them into letting him clean his palate and destroys the evidence. Sli- yeah, slick. It just yeah. it just goes to show like this guy is a smooth operator. He's a professional, but he's not going to like start a ruckus right he's gonna try to do his job but he's not gonna become violent or anything like that that's just not in his character that's not who this guy is yeah and the spy work he he does is like data collection and and things like that he's not like an assassin or a violent spy he's very much just data intel right so so did did you read the the same thing did you read any of the history of like why this guy got arrested in the first place no i didn't Okay, so just a level set. Almost all of this is completely true. Like, nice. It is it is very very like way more so than usual with the Spielberg adaptations of maybe a, a true moment story. When, at the end of the movie when they do the codas and tell you what happened to the characters afterwards, that I was like, I wonder. It reminded me of Catch Me If You Can and the questionability of the accuracy of that film and right. this. So it's good to hear that this was a much more accurate much Tell more him. accurate but uh, there there were some details that were left out there was a, a third um american in the mix when they were bargaining to get the guys released and that guy was kind of put off and was re- released like a year later in a different trade um but the 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 reason the russian guy got caught colonel abel got caught was because uh the kgb had sent this other dude over to partner with him for mm-hmm. like Eight, eight years before this all happened. And the dude was like blazingly incompetent, like drank all the time. He had, he had like a Soviet assigned wife, you know, that lived with him, oh, okay. like, like, like the Americans, you know, they, they were an they undercover were like, wife, an undercover wife. And they would get drunk and like, like fist fight out in the, <laughs> the streets and like bring all this attention to themselves. Like absolutely screwed up every single mission that Abel sent him on, like would just get drunk and forget what he was supposed to do. He would lose the evidence. He gave one of the hollow nickels to a newsboy as uh, payment for a newspaper. Oh, and, good. And <laughs> the newsboy found it. Um, and, and at that point, Abel lost his temper with him and was like, no, you have to go back to the Soviet Union. You're done. Like, we're, you, you are not capable of doing this job. You have to go. So the guy was flying back to the Soviet Union with a layover in Paris, left the airport, went to the embassy in Paris, turned himself in, confessed to everything. And rolled over on Abel. And that's oh, how he got wow. that's how he got caught. Like this this henchman of his was so incapable that he basically was punished by being sent back home and was afraid of what was going to happen to him when he got there, so he just rolled over and, and uh turned in Abel. And that's, <laughs> that's how that's incredible. how they zeroed in on him. So he didn't do anything like to get caught, essentially. Right. Like like he wasn't incompetent in any way the only thing the only mistake that they say that he made was that he showed the henchman one time where his workshop was where he kept all of his equipment and uh had he not done that he might have actually you know continue to operate yeah Yeah. that's funny that that's insane um so the this is like a two 
two-parter movie. It feels like it's split in two halves, right? So the first half is the trial um, to, to see whether he's guilty or not. And um, there's the drama around him and the judge. And like they, the one of the big points of reference is that they search his apartment that he's in without a search warrant. And therefore all that evidence that's found should be inadmissible. And you get that scene with the judge and the other attorney and the judge is like, what are you doing with this guy is a spy for the Soviets. No, I'm not throwing out the evidence and their lack of integrity on the uh, judge's side, you know, like he probably even more so, because he is the judge needs to be as impartial as possible. He's the one who should be holding up and saying, you're right. You know, if presented with the correct argument, I can't really admit that in court. Like if it were an American, it would be inadmissible. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Yeah. The judge kind of personifies, you know, the difficulty of getting something like this through the system fairly. Interesting point. The judge in real life was, a complete asshole. And he, at one point, advocated for taking immigrants who were not applying for uh, American citizenship and branding them on the hand so that we would know to look out for them and deport them if needed. That was that was his big idea. That so was that, that guy. That was that guy. So this, this is who uh, Tom Hanks was, or, you know, Donovan in real life was up against, you know. So, like, the judge in the movie is maybe a more sympathetic portrayal. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> the there's a scene where he goes over to like after okay, it, it pretty much you get like that. This guy's going to be guilty, right? The evidence, even I, I think probably with the stuff they find is still kind of overwhelming. And so it's like a foregone conclusion. He's going to be guilty and he's found guilty. So we go to the sentencing and then this is where Donovan goes over to the judge's house and, you know, he's welcomed as a friend and offered scotch that I don't know. Does he ever drink any of the scotch he's offered in this film? I, I, yeah. Yeah. He does, it seems he, does, like he's, he does in East Germany because he wiggles his empty glass at the guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. It's <laughs> good stuff. Um, and, you know, he just says, hey, we should hold on to this guy. Let's not, you know, do a death sentence because, hey, we might need to trade him for a spy. You know, we might need to make a prisoner exchange, which foreshadows the second half of the film. And, you know, the judge in this case, and, and maybe if you know more about the, the true history, he says, yeah, um, he's life in prison. No, or, that's, a, you know. that's actually what happened. Like they, he, he made this case that they could eventually need him for political reasons. And uh, and they agreed and sentenced him to life in prison. So um, a, a, a minor note of forethought on the part of that judge and on the part of the Supreme Court that, uh, you know, maybe this could be a bargaining chip for us because clearly we have dudes doing the exact same thing. You know, right. like it's no, it's no secret or mystery that both sides have, you know, spies planted all over the place. Even now, you know, they're everywhere. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that leads us into the second half of the film now where indeed our tall, dark and handsome, pilot is captured by the soviets now they establish hey if you're going down like if you can get away get away great but if you're going down and you're going to get caught they gave him a coin and in that coin is a scratcher and i guess it's got 
some sort of extremely dangerous poison on there where if you scratch your flesh with it, you will die. Um, and he's expected as a soldier to, if you know, the plane goes down to kill himself. Well, he doesn't do that. He gets captured and, um, that begins our negotiations between the two sides. Yeah. So I got, I want to do a sidebar on this guy, Francis Gary powers, right? So that's, that's our pilot guy. And right. in in an absolute banger of a special effects sequence in the middle of this otherwise pretty practical movie, right? Like it's it's shown clearly like they told him he would be absolutely safe at this 70,000 foot ceiling. He gets shot down, you know, so his plane is breaking up and he still makes his very best effort like like dangling from the plane by a rope trying yeah. to climb back in against all those G-forces of a crashing plane and stuff exploding and fire, and he's still, like, trying to get in there and and do the, the self-destruct right. um, on the on the camera system, which is what they really cared about was the camera system, um, uh, and, and isn't able to do it. So he makes his, like, best effort to do the thing, and then he... So, uh, this this is very interesting. Listen to this. This is how it really went down, and it's okay. more com- it's more complex than what they show in the movie. Uh, Powers was shot down by S seventy five Davina, uh, which is a surface to air missile. A total of fourteen Davinas were launched, one of which hit a MiG nineteen jet fighter, which was sent to intercept the U two, but could not reach a oh, high good. enough altitude. <laughs> so they shot down their own dude trying to shoot him down. Right, that guy parachuted out. Uh, but later died of his injuries just from the explosion. Um, then they sent another uh, plane that was unarmed that was supposed to ram him. But that plane was going so fast. It was going like Mach 1.6 and his plane was only going 400 miles an hour. It couldn't hit him. Like it was just too fast. Like he was moving too slow and it was too fast and like the guy couldn't hit him. So that was a fail. So they finally got him uh, with one of the missiles. Um what was left of the plane began spinning only upside down, the nose pointing outward towards the sky, the tail towards the ground. Powers was unable to activate the camera's self-destruct mechanism before he was thrown out of the plane after releasing the canopy in his seatbelt. According to his own book, Operation Overflight, it was a misunderstanding that the whole plane could be blown up. It was only the camera system. While descending under his parachute, he had time to scatter his escape map and rid himself of his suicide device, a silver dollar coin suspended around his neck, but he kept the poison pin. He was still hopeful of escape. He hit the ground hard and was immediately captured and taken to prison. Uh, He did see a second shoot hit the ground, which was the other guy who died. Uh, Listen to this. uh, This is is where it gets really interesting about this guy, right? So that's the crash in the background. Barbara Powers, his wife, right? the wife of Gary Powers, was often drinking and allegedly having affairs. On June 22nd, 1961, she was pulled over by police after driving erratically and was caught driving under the influence. To avoid bad publicity for the wife of a well-known CIA operative, doctors tasked by the F- or by the CIA uh, to keep her out of the limelight arranged to have her committed to a psychiatric ward in Augusta, Georgia, under strict supervision. 
Uh, she was eventually released to the care of her mother. However, the CIA feared that Gary feared that Gary Powers languishing in the Soviet prison might learn of Barbara's plight and as a result, reach a state of desperation, causing him to reveal to the Soviets whatever secrets he had not already revealed. Thus, Barbara may have unwittingly aided the cause of the approval of the prisoner exchange. They were so desperate to get him out of there because they thought yeah. that he would hear that they committed his wife, that that contributed to them like agreeing to the exchange with Abel. That's wild. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And that just shows like how upright our CIA and FBI and stuff were at that time. They took this yeah. woman, they took this woman and they had her committed to keep her out of out of the public. Like, yeah. like we gotta get rid of her somehow. They at least didn't kill her. They they took her and they sent her to the, the mental clink uh because she was so misbehaving. Wild. Incredible. Um Thank you for for doing all the research. <laughs> no problem, man. All I did was watch a kick-ass movie. <laughs> this uh, is a, this is was good. a good one. This was a good one for the research. Um, There's a lot to dig into. Now, so like we said, he's captured. So now uh, his um, foretelling has come true. They now have a prisoner exchange. And so they send him over sort of like... It's interesting how this works. Is like you don't work for the government... You're the personal attorney for Abel, and yeah. you're negotiating the exchange. Uh, so he gets there, and he has, but he does have, like, CIA help there, but they are, no, when he goes the first time, he doesn't, right? It's just him, and that's when he gets robbed, and... It's all one trip, isn't it? Doesn't he just stay? It's the same trip, but, yeah, I guess the see no, it's, you're he right. Takes, he takes different trips into East Germany, for sure. yeah. Yeah, the, but he stays in that house, that drafty house, and the CIA guys are at the Hilton or whatever, right? <laughs> you know, and um, you know, in that first trip to go, like, it's so tense because they do such a great job of establishing how hostile of an environment he's going into in East Germany that. You know, even though they're negotiating with the Russians, all of this is in East Germany as a way for the Russians to sort of say, oh, that's not us. Right. It's the East Germans, right? It, it's and, interesting what what you get in this movie, too, like the interplay between the Russians and the East Germans, who you never actually see interact, right? right. But you you can tell there's this, like, push and pull between those two factions. Like... The, the Russians are definitely in charge of East Germany, but you can tell, particularly from that lawyer guy, whatever his name was, Vogel. I can't remember. Yeah, Vogel. Yep. Yeah, that they're not real pleased with this whole situation, and they want to be recognized as their own thing, right? Like, the East Germans want us, we are a sovereign state, separate from Russia, you know, we might be under their umbrella or whatever, but we would like to be acknowledged as our own Thing. You know, the Germans are chafing under Russian rule. And and so, you know, the Russians are kind of like, oh, no, not us. That's the Germans. And the Germans are like, you know, we got this guy, but we don't have that guy. And there's no interplay between these two systems. And at every opportunity, Donovan just like, cut the shit. Like, yeah. I have every confidence you can figure this out between the two. You know, like, it's it's interesting. Well, and so you mentioned the other guy. The other guy is a student. And, and again, this scene just sort of happens like it just oh, okay here's some new characters for me you know um and we're well over halfway through the film i think at that point 
and this young American student who's dating a German girl, I guess, they're an item, uh, gets arrested as he's trying to help her get out of East Germany as the Berlin Wall is being constructed. Um, and he gets arrested by the East Germans. And the CIA is very much like, all we want is powers. Powers is the end game. It's a W if we get him. But they make the mistake of telling Tom Hanks they have this other guy. And that's sort of where the second half of this movie starts going is that Tom Hanks is the guy who's going to get everything he can. Yeah. He is a he shows his master negotiation skills. Um and so he's like, why not both? You know? <laughs> why not both? Like honestly, this civilian kid really doesn't have any value to them. Like he's got no intel. He doesn't know anything. He's just some guy. But they always, well, we don't know that. He could be a spy. You know, we don't know. Um, so that's the second guy they're trying to get out. And and like you said, that scene where he's walking to his first negotiation. I love this movie. Like he gets robbed. They take his coat. And it's a tense scene. Um, but he trades. Essentially, I guess he doesn't get robbed. He trades his coat for directions to get to whatever this embassy or whatever is yeah the version that you watched was it subtitled during that scene or did you just have to kind of like figure it out by context because i didn't have subtitles i don't uh, think i did either yeah but, but they, you can, I you think can they clearly did a good tell ju- what's going yeah. on yeah like um, you could tell this was a, a gang of ruffians uh they liked his nice coat and no i definitely did not have subtitles because i remember when he's like talking russian and he's pointing you're like oh okay he's getting directions like i had to pick it out of the scene which i like i really like that you know because you don't get the full story and you have to wonder just how threatening this situation was it leads to another moment which is great which kind of happens throughout the film a few times but in the meeting that he goes to uh he has he has a meeting with a guy who says he's just a, a, a secretary, you know, consulate at the at the embassy or whatever. And they have this meeting. And then at the end, he says, oh, wear a coat. It's cold out. And he said, oh, my coat was stolen. And the guy looks at him and says, what did you expect? It was from Saks Fifth Avenue. Was. And it just gives you the second of like, oh, they know everything. Like, yeah, they they all know everything. Like, I I am fucking with spies like there are spies everywhere. They all know exactly where I am and exactly what I'm doing at all times. You know, like like these are high powered people in every room. Nobody is going to present themselves as who they truly are. You know, it's all a dog and pony show. Um, So, yeah. And that's what he's up against. You know, yeah. he's, he's up against. Of- not knowing who any of them are or what their positions are or what their perspectives are. You know, he's just going to have to come in and like figure it out. Speaking of which, we have to talk about Abel's family <laughs> when he great. gets to meet the family. <laughs> it's so good. Um, <laughs> who? So you have uh, the the wife, the daughter, and who's the third guy? Cous- cousin, cousin Joss or something like that. Yeah, cousin, I'm, uh, I am Cousin Joss. Uh, yeah, cousin Joss. He says, um, <laughs> you know, and it's clear that these are not. And even when he's getting like one of the things that precipitates all of this is is Abel getting letters in jail from his wife. And it's, you know, and Tom Hanks is like, so what's this really mean? You know, like he knows that 
you know, Abel's probably not even married. Um, but under the pretense of getting that communication through, they say it's from his wife. So you meet the wife and child and cousin Joss and the acting is so bad on their part purposefully. And then like when they get, she's crying, save my husband, save him. Okay. You guys can go. And they all stand up, right? face the same direction and walk out single file like the acting stops and they leave and it's just so good um we have done our duty we did it uh, uh we took them it's so stupid stupid American. stupid uh, yeah man i that scene was so awesome i also like it doesn't phase tom hanks he knows that like he almost laughing on the inside um that are you seriously as good as these spies are? That's that's the best attempt you had with these. You know, uh, loved it. Right, and then the guy comes in, and he's actually very effective. Right, the the secretary guy who turns out to be like a huge KGB agent. You know, like powerful guy. Uh, he's very effective in the negotiation. You know, he gets right down to brass tacks. He starts making offers. They're not good offers, but you know, it's an opening salvo. And uh, yeah, it's like, release them to us, and uh, you know, you we'll, we'll be good maybe, mood. We may we be good maybe. mood. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I I thought that that guy in that part, whoever he is, I didn't I didn't recognize the actor's name when I looked him up. I thought that he was particularly good you know yes. i was like this this guy feels real to me you know and, and that's the whole thing like so many of these people felt real um in fact like in general this movie was so well done in the the realism of like i just kept looking at it like god damn if this doesn't really look like a real lived in 1950s yeah god, damn if this doesn't really look like what east germany would have looked like at that time you know like that looks like some berlin wall if i've ever seen some berlin wall you know a bombed out city i guess they found they found a city in poland that used to be part of germany yeah that had never been rebuilt after the war and we're in the 2010s here and there's this city that had never been rebuilt after interesting the war. and that's where and they filmed it that's where they filmed some of Amazing. those germany like train scenes and all that when he's looking down and they're going past the city and saying you know the russians never let us rebuild or whatever um so yeah that like in general i was like god he's just nailing the the look and feel of this stuff you know the big gothic soviet courtroom where yeah. they convict the pilot i was like oh this feels i mean it's it's perfect i mean i was i was in the soviet union in the uh early 90s while it was still the soviet union and it hadn't changed too much like it was like i mean that is really what some of these spaces looked like like it's just uh really really well done all around like it just the 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 set building and the visual style of the thing like even uh tom hanks's home you know it looked like a real lived in home it didn't look like a movie home you know it didn't look like a place where you know darren comes home from work and here's his wife and look she has Mm -hmm. prepared dinner and now the kids enjoy a tv dinner in front of the television it didn't look like that it looked like a a place where people would really live right like the dogs curled up like eating peanut butter out of a jar watching tv you know um the little details did a lot to sell it 
you know, I really thought it was cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, so they have that negotiation. So now he's got to meet with Vogel, who is who he thought he was meeting, right, at this embassy or whatever. But then he finds out that he's actually – so we talked with the main negotiator for the Russians – and like you said, he's like, listen, I'm pretty confident you guys could work out getting me both of them. But he goes to Vogel and is like, hey, let me get the guy. And he essentially just negotiates in the easiest negotiation of the day. One for one. Yeah, you give me that guy, I'll give you this guy. And he's like, if you guys really aren't talking, then what's the matter if I negotiate again? <laughs> like, you know, uh, with that we give up Abel twice uh, to get both of them back. Um, really? Just, and that's the scene I think you said where he's shaking the, Hey, where's the scotch? Yeah. 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 And then, that could be nerves and it could also be that it's cold as shit there. Yeah. And he's just sick. Yeah, that's true. He's sick for most of it. And um, then he goes and meets with the other East Germany guy who just had me like cracking up because he's such a character. Like it's the older guy who has the young assistant and he's like, you know, kind of slamming around. He's like big, big, broad character. And, oh yes. And that's, <laughs> yes. that's where he really like puts the screw to this guy's nuts. Like the guy isn't even in the room. Like yeah. he, he has the assistant out in the hall and he's like, all right, look, Here's how it's going to go down. Yeah. Like, and here's what's going to happen if it doesn't go down the way I want it to go down, you know? And uh, that's, that's like the moment. Such a good scene. More or less where he wins, right? Yeah. Like he takes this kid and just conveys this message that he's won, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the, the beauty of it is there's no back negotiation, right? And I think it just plays into giving him even more power to relay this message through an intermediary with no power to the other guy that is in power. But how do you get the message back? You don't. It's kind of too late. We've already negotiated the release of powers. That's going through, right? And then, um, you know, they get the, the call that indeed he's done it. And now we get to the bridge scene, which is another tense scene, a layer of like... This has got to be one of the more tense things to happen in real life. But I really like he's like, oh, I, they get on the bridge and there's like, I think it's Tom Hanks has the binoculars. They got they got snipers. And he's like, the CIA guy. Yeah. So do we, you know, like we're all <laughs> and it's kind of that parallel. We're all kind of the same here. Right. You know, we we got snipers, too. We got spies over there, you know. We're pretty close to the same. Yeah, that that bridge scene is. Fan. I love a good prisoner exchange scene, but th this is a particularly good one uh, because it doesn't it doesn't do a lot of tricks to build the tension, right? Like mm -hmm. it is it is specifically we are going to stand here, and it's all done through dialogue. Right? So we're going to stand here and we're going to wait until we figure out if they've released the other guy because re they're releasing the second guy over at checkpoint Charlie, and and. Uh, and and we're just gonna we're just gonna make those Russians just stand there <laughs> until we get what we want, and it comes down again to another negotiation tactic, right? Yeah, like and it, this is where you get uh, the equity that Tom Hanks has built up with um, Abel, you know, because they have 
essentially the CIA guy, he's like, all I want is powers. I don't really give a shit about this civilian kid that he's trying to get back. And he's like, Abel, you can go. You're free to go. Go. And Abel looks at his friend and he's like, no, I wait. But I wait. You know, um, just really good stuff. Really good character development. One thing I, I did like, but I think maybe they harped on it one too many times is the you must be worried would it help i think they just they did it one too many times i think you do it at the trial and it it felt good and genuine and then you do it here at the end and then it's not too heavy-handed they kind of got a little heavy-handed with that almost like the do you have an appointment right um it's it's not that no definitely not that bad um It's but more like it, a running joke between two friends at this point. Yeah, you know? I just like, kind of felt like it stopped for a second so he could do would it help, you know, and everybody in the audience will be like, oh, just, okay, calm down. Not that clever, but also true. It doesn't help the worry. And I do like, like the first time he said it, and even the second time, I'm like, yeah, that's great character development. This guy is a cool character. He's very much in control of his own emotions. The third time it happens is like, all right, this isn't your catchphrase, buddy. Shut up. Um, so I think maybe just one of my only critiques of the film is that was a little hammy. That's funny. But they do the exchange. And so they mention he's like, again, Tom Hanks is friends with this guy now. He's like, what's going to happen to you? He goes, well, one of two things. I will either be embraced when I go over there and everything's great. Or they'll just show me to the back seat of the car. And so after Jesse Plemons is there and he identifies the American guy and they make the exchange, the American guy is embraced by Jesse Plemons. He has his own stuff we'll get into when they get back on the plane, but they do indeed show Abel to the backseat of the car. Um, So not looking too good for the Russian spy. Yeah. in, In real life, the Russian spy was fine. He was okay. They uh, they trotted him out as a hero, and he gave speeches about spycraft, and uh, he he did not get shot and killed. So yeah, <laughs> ha- happy ending there. <laughs> happy ending, Americans. The Russian spy was okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, I think that's kind of what this movie does. Is there's still humanity, right? Like, right. And, and it's okay to want humane things to happen to people. Well, I um, mean, it, it's all a matter of perspective, right? Have you ever watched right. das, das Boot? No, I think this is the second time you've brought up Das Boot. Das Boot is incredible. It's a great movie, but it's a German submarine movie, right? About a German crew in World War II on a submarine. And uh, the bad guys are the British. Like, like and, and it just completely shifts the whole perspective because you're you're watching a film where the Germans are the good guys. Yeah. Great, great movie. So good. Incredible. Uh but again, it's all just a matter of perspective. And obviously, I'm not defending Nazism here. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, just because somebody was born in another it's country and it's in their system, it, is, it doesn't we, make them any worse than somebody who was born in our country in our system. You know, right. like, and especially on the front lines. It's yeah. kind of like when we go back and look at War Horse and we see them cutting the horse free near the end of the film, it's like, that's the moment you're like, yeah, we all hate Hitler, but the guys on the front lines, a lot of them are human beings, too. You know, I get it. Yeah. That dude was, like, picking potatoes five weeks ago, right? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, he doesn't um, have much of an agenda. 
so on the counter side, they get back on the plane and Powers is like, I didn't say anything. I, hey, guys, don't worry. I didn't say anything. And he's getting the cold shoulder from everyone. And uh, you know, Tom Hanks is like, who cares what they think? You know what you did or didn't do, you know? And but you get this feeling like a lot of it is like you're supposed to kill yourself. What a coward. He didn't kill himself. And I find it so hypocritical. Of like you bitches weren't in the same place. You know what I mean? Like if you were in the same place, would you, I don't think you can judge him because you weren't there. A hundred percent. A hundred and twenty nine hundred percent. Yes. You bitches were not there. And right. that's that's really what it comes down to. Like until you were there having the water thrown in your face, it I guess uh in in real life, you know, they found the poison pin and uh he was like, Yo, don't poke yourself with that poison pin <laughs> like to the Soviet guys and they're like, Really? Poison pin? And they scratched a dog and the dog just fell over dead. She's like, I told you, it's the poison poison pin, don't do the poison pin. Uh what kind of poison is on there? Like I don't know. That, cy- that it acts cyanide? that. F- I mean, but I yeah. didn't think a cyanide. A cyanide takes like twenty, thirty minutes. I get. I don't know how fast. The thing, the- the thing that I read said the dog died moments later. So yeah. whatever it was, it sounded like it was pretty quick. Yeah, interesting. Um, and so he gets home, and we we've totally skipped over the subplot with his family. But it, it's kind of run of the mill stuff that you tend to see of the guy who has this. He's having to keep secrets from his wife because he's working for the government. It is kind of a little bit more well-worn territory. However, um, well done, though. Well done okay. for what it okay. is. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, you no, said I, well I, done. I thought you said hold on. No, no. Well done. Like, I, I just yeah. thought, you know, like, even though it is kind of worn territory, it is it is well done. It's not overplayed. The wife never reaches, like, some hysterical, we're leaving you, you know, like, it never gets to that point. It's just more like... There are concerns because he is kind of putting their family in the spotlight and, you know, during the trial. And there's an element of danger with that because there's lunatics out there. People take pot shots at the house. Um, And uh, and then, you know, and then she fears that he's getting caught up in something, you know, and and she wants some reassurance when he's going to Europe because she doesn't really know like he's lying to her. And so then again, at the end, you get the payoff because what he did becomes public. It becomes a big national story. And then all of a sudden his family's like, oh, dad's a hero. Oh, you know. Yeah. And that kind of also turns the tide on him because uh, he's viewed during the trial as being this. Who, why are you defending this spy? And then he negotiates the release of two Americans and, oh, he's great. You know, Um so it, I guess that's the end. You get the coda. Everything's fine. They talk about how he had nego- he, he went to negotiate the release of some prisoners from the Bay of Pigs invasion yeah. or whatever. It is like, we want you to get like a uh, 1600 or whatever. And he comes back like 4,000 or something. Just crazy. <laughs> um, and you're like, yeah, that makes sense for this guy. He's just not going to stop short. Um, at least the character that they portray in the film is very much not going to stop short of, of getting everything he can as being this master negotiator. Yeah. I mean, his character almost reminded me of somebody from like a 1950s movie, you know, it's like a Mr. Smith goes to Washington, like, like just like one of these, 
or like uh what's his name for him to kill a mockingbird you know like oh just, atticus just, finch yeah. atticus finch you know like it's just this, this stand-up guy who's not gonna back down from his ethics you know and it's just gonna push through like I, I i really enjoyed it and you don't often get characters like that in movies anymore they're always compromised there's always some like oh yeah the game of thrones effect is yeah, yeah everybody's a piece of shit nobody's actually got any integrity and is good yeah Right, right. Yeah, I agree with that. That that it is nice to have a hero, um, that, and I can't really point out any flaws. I guess I mean he's just like his integrity is so important to him. I I guess maybe I wouldn't ever take a job that would require me to lie to my wife, but you know, um, he did. Um, but that's about the only thing I could point at him and be like, oh, you know that that's not great, but, um. Yeah, uh, the characters in this movie are so good. Uh, so um, this I already raved about. I don't know. You got any questions? I mean, this movie is awesome. Well, yeah, there's a few things I wanted to talk about. Just like the first thing I wanted to talk about was the Berlin Wall and how as an American, I don't think I've ever really understood the Berlin Wall until... I dug in yesterday and looked at, looked it yeah. all up. And even then I had to go to like 10 different sites to really get the scoop on what was going on with the Berlin Wall. Like and, and this is just like maybe it's my fault, maybe it's our education system's fault, but okay, so you got Germany, right? And Germany was divided after World War II into West Germany and East Germany. For whatever reason, I had always thought that Berlin sat on the border of West Germany and East Germany. Right. And and at that border, it was cut in the middle by the Berlin Wall, right? That would make sense. Yeah, it totally fucking wasn't. Like, yeah. it was way the hell over in East Germany. Like, way the hell over there, right? So they took the capital and cut it in half, right? And, and for... Until but on their the own time, land? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, until the time that this movie took place, people were able to move freely in between the free West side and the kind of Soviet bloc East side until finally they were like enough of this. No, no, no. And so they built the Berlin wall, but the Berlin wall didn't just go through the middle of the city. It went around the border of West Berlin as well. And then all the way through East Germany, all the way over to West Germany so they could have a road, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's one road going from West Germany all the way through East Germany over to this little island of freedom or whatever you want to call it that was West Berlin, which sat in the middle of East Berlin, which is just the most nut job, not viable, crazy, untenable situation ever. Like, right. <laughs> I, I, it's it's unimaginable to me that people would even try this. Or that, like, any of the West Berliners would want to stay. Like, that seems like a precarious situation, right? Like, what if, what if, like, in Korea, they had a city sitting in the middle of North Korea surrounded by a wall? Like, would anybody want to go there? Yeah. (laughs) That sucks. (laughs) Like, so the majority of traffic in and out of West Berlin, which was the capital of West Germany, was air air traffic, right? Interesting. because nobody wanted to go on the road. So they would just fly in and out from West Germany to West Berlin, which is or just nut job to me. Like, I guess the reason I didn't understand it is because it just is insane. 
Yeah, Were you aware I, of all this? Like, did you no, know how this worked? I, I, I just imagine, like you said, it's a wall that splits East and West Germany. The only thing I know about it is Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, even though that was a it was Kennedy a kind of a Kennedy. Impression. You did a Kennedy there. I don't know how to do Reagan. <laughs> tear down this wall. No new taxes. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Excellent. Yeah, well, I mean, so you're uh, well, like ten years younger than me, maybe. Yeah, maybe a little more. So, yeah, you probably were younger when the wall came down. Um, like was it eighty five? Little little kids still, right? Like, when did it come down? Eighty five, eighty four. Yeah, I would have been a little kid either way, but yeah, maybe a little later than I'll that. But yeah, out. in in there somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, I I definitely have the memory of the Berlin Wall eighty nine being, being a thing. Yeah. November 9th, 89. Yeah, that lines up because that's right about the same time. So Gorbachev, 89, that's perestroika. That's when like there starts to be this thawing between the East and the West, which led into the crazy student exchange that I went on in 1990. And uh, yeah, so that all that that timeline. So that all happened like real fast. Boom, 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 boom. So when I went over there, it was real new, like real, real new that you were going to be in Russia and see Russians, you know, like that was crazy talk. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, oh, where was I going with this? I don't remember. <laughs> Cause I'm old. Well, you're talking about the Berlin wall and that's, we kind of established just how insane the actual Berlin wall was. Yeah. Yeah. So to see it in this film, to see it being built and, and interestingly to see people just kind of crossing freely while it was being built. Right. The guy just goes across in his bike. Like, he's just like, I'm just a doop to do, just going to kind of cut right through here. Um, in real life, it turns out that that guy did not have a girlfriend. Uh, he was trying to return some library books. Oh dear, that's worse. <laughs> like that's was... way that's the biggest nerd in history. Like it's one thing to go, I gotta get my girl out, but I just gotta get these to the library before I gotta I gotta get them back before the wall. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I've gotta cross the Berlin Wall. Amazing. Yeah, because like the university was over there or whatever, you know, like like, I mean, imagine what it would be like just to cut a city in half, right? Yeah. Like, people, people, people <laughs> would be all fucked up. Like, today, could you imagine late fees in East Germany? That might be a reason he went to do it. Like, because here in America, as long as you get the book back, at least in where my neck of the woods, you're fine. But in East Germany, you might lose a finger. Oh, this is, you ever see, you ever, I'm asking a question under the answer to, you ever see UHF? You know, of course. Co- where it's Conan the Librarian? Yeah. Don't you know the three decimal system? That's <laughs> what I imagine is happening in East German libraries. Scary times. Scary times. <laughs> East so German stupid. librarians. Like the soup Nazi. So, okay. A couple of questions. They're going to be pretty brief. Um, are you a good negotiator? Like you personally, like when you buy a car, do you dicker on the price? You try to talk people down on stuff. I need right? like specifically talk about cars. I need help. Right. I got a friend. So my thing is my dad was a car salesman a lot. And so I never really had to negotiate for cars because my dad would take care of all that. And really, he was the best guy to do it because uh, he was not going to get ripped off because he knew the deal. Um, no, I'm not. I, I would say in general, I'm not like I, I, there are times I've applied for a job and here's the offer. I'm like, 
make it bigger. And they go, no. I'm like, sounds good. <laughs> you know, so I, uh, no, I, I would generally say I'm, I'm a good communicator. And if I'm, no, I'm not like a negotiator. I'm either a yes or no guy. Like I don't play around in the gray. And so if it's like, hey, man, do you want to do A? Nope. I'm not going to do that. I don't. Well, what if we did it? No, I'm good. I'm out. So I would say, no, I am not a good negotiator. What about you? No, I am also not a good negotiator. I am uh, too uh, people pleasy, you know, like uh, I want to make people happy. And so I'm not good at taking hard tactics. But I mean, that say, being said, I'm not going to let myself get totally screwed either. Like, I, I'm like you. I'm willing to walk away from stuff. It was funny. My, my son was just shopping for cars recently, and he was looking at this Mustang at this place. It was a used Mustang. It was like a 2008 Mustang, right? So we go over to the place, and uh, the guy, like, we take it for a test drive, and I, I come back, and I'm like, ah, you know, the brakes are making a little bit of noise. It's got a headlight out. The turn signal isn't working right, you know? And the guy's like, all right, well, let me know if you want it. I'm like, well, that wasn't really the response I was expecting from your busted ass car. <laughs> uh, so here's our phone number. Uh, you can call us. He's like, oh, if you don't get it, somebody else will. Okay. I'm like, I mean, that's all fair right, enough. I, yeah. We're out, you know, and that was two months ago and that car is still sitting there. So fuck that guy. But <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Uh, you know, like, so in that situation, I'm not just going to be like, oh, we really want the Mustang that's all busted up, you know. Um but as far as it comes down to, you know, like, again, I won't let myself get screwed. They tell my wife on the phone they're going to give her a $4,000 trade-in on her car. She goes in there like, oh, actually, it's only $2,500. I'm like, no, 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 no. You said yeah. 4000 We're sticking to that shit. Um, but as far as, like, dickering on the price of the new car, nah, I'm not good at that. No, that is not that is not within my skill set. Yeah, so, I got I got people that help me with that. I've, yeah. I've got a lot of respect for... Uh, for James Donovan here and yeah. his abilities to just like remain cool and sit back and look kind of skeptical. And uh, I'm closer like in Tommy boy. Where he's like, no, well, see you later. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So here's, here's my last question and then we can wrap it up. And, and, and you have to do your best to put recency bias aside. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Which Spielberg do you like better? The historic Spielberg or the fantastic Spielberg? Okay, so we're talking E.T. E.T., Temple of Doom, Jaws. Jaws, or Bridge of Spies, Munich, War Horse, Lincoln. Schindler. Schindler's not List. Sure, I'm not sure where we put color purple. I think we'll put that on the historic side. I would put that in historic. I think um, I think I'd go historic and not recency bias aside. I think like um, so the standouts on the fantastic are E.T. and Jaws for me. The rest of it, like I was never a big Raiders guy, you know, um, and Close Encounters is like, eh. but there's also a couple duds, you know, like I think Munich is great. I don't know. It's I, I, you know, when you get further away from movies, sometimes you're like, ah, maybe that wasn't what I thought, or they even get better. I, I guess for me though, I would say I, I think the historic 
but maybe buy a nose. See, that being said, Empire of the Sun is a huge pile of shit. Right, and Jurassic Park is amazing. It's a masterpiece. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because that that's the, the trade-off. Like, this is great. Lincoln is great. Warhorse is great. E.T. is amazing. Right. Jaws like, is amazing. Like, if you can only have one, like, you only get this box set of the historic movies, or you only get this box set of the fantastic movies, and that's for the rest of your life, which do you pick? It's tough, right? Like, it's tough. I think I go fantastic, because I think, just in general, I'm more of a fantastic storytelling guy. Like, I generally, uh, I don't really like historic m- movies as much. <laughs> Until so that means this. that means that you pick AI. <laughs> no, that's that's in your box set. Well, it might be in the box set. I don't have to open it because in the other box set is Empire of the Sun in 1941. You know, I'm <laughs> opening those. So it, there's, I think there's, I think it's kind of a great comparison of like both sides, both boxes sets are equal parts trash and absolute diamonds. Yeah, so I think I like like when I was thinking about this this morning because I feel like there's a definite divide, right? And and what you were saying at the beginning of of this podcast, this really feels like his wheelhouse, man. Like like these these historic dramas are amazing and maybe they're not like the big box office bangers that he got out right. of his fantasy movies, but it really feels like early on in his career sci-fi Right, that was his strength. That was his wheel. Fantasy it was movies, a special effects guy too. Special effects guy, Jurassic Park, you know, uh, like all of these things. And then I feel like there's kind of this transition, right? The sci-fi movies become older and more mature. War of the Worlds, Minority Report, right? They're they're not as, um, I don't want to say kid based, but they're they're definitely there's definitely a, a more dark and mature tone to them, right? And that's and and. Early on in that period where he wasn't the big sci-fi bangers, that's where you get things like uh, the one that you hate, um, Empire Empire of the the Sun, Sun, and Amistad, like kind of like trial runs, right? Trial runs at the historic drama. And then there's this tipping point where we're at now. I mean, we're past the tipping point now where all of a sudden, like the historic dramas are bangers and the sci-fi ones... Yeah, you know, are, like are a little more duddy, right? Yeah, we're, we're, I, we're coming up on some not, you know, not great ones. So I, I think that uh, maybe as he's gotten older, like his heart is more in these than you know the young guy who was judging super by into what I remember. Ready Player One, yeah, yeah, we got we got the BFG coming up too, and I've never seen it, so I can't say. But I hate Ready Player One. But yeah, also, I don't want I to wonder- taint you. I wonder how much of that is because I liked the book. But the one I'm actually like that's left, I'm really looking forward to The Post, another historical drama starring Tom Hanks. Yeah. Um, I've not seen it. I don't know anything about it. But based on how much I really enjoyed this, um, I am looking forward to The Post. Yeah. So what do we got coming up next? Is it time for Elliot? Or is yes. It, is, so is it, it Jurassic is, World time? We're going weekly for the next six, five week. I don't know. Math is hard. Six weeks, I guess, starting today. Um, so next week we will be back early with Jurassic World. We'll bring in our very own dinosaur boy, uh, do Jurassic World. Then we watch BFG as our core 
you know, proper episodes. Then we do Jurassic World 2. Then we do Ready Player One. No, sorry, The Post and then Jurassic World 3. And I think that's the last of our bonuses as we wrap up the series um, because we've got uh, five core films left. That's amazing. Yeah, it's like when I realized that this movie was made in the last 10 years, I was like, oh man, we're getting down to it. Like, we are really getting close. I've already, for our next season, I've already found some bonuses, maybe some that you're not too aware of. One of them is very much out of right. Anyway, I'm excited. I'm excited for next season. The elevator one? Is it the elevator one? Oh, that's on there, yes. Yeah. There's another one. (laughs) I have three, I have three bonus episodes slated. Uh, Excellent for next season. Um, one of them is just you're going to be like, wait, what? We'll get okay, there. I'm into it. Hey, one last thing. Did you know that this movie was co-written by the Coen Brothers? Yes, I okay. didn't know that watching it. I I was I recorded another one of my podcasts last night with Mark. Uh, if you remember the Lincoln episode, uh, I was I was talking to him about Bridge of Spies because he'll often ask, "What are you guys talking about tomorrow?" I was a bridge of spies and he goes, Oh, and I said, not to tip my hand too much. It's really good. And he was looking it up and he's like, Oh, the Coen brothers wrote that. I was yeah. like, Oh, okay. That explains it. Yeah. So they had, they had a, a another screenwriter do a, a first run at this. And then the Coen brothers uh, did like a, a polish on it to add like their sparkling, but realistic dialogue and all the things they do. This is also one of the only ones that's not been scored by John Williams. Interesting. I didn't even, peg that but yeah i know we're uh, rapping but the score is interesting it doesn't even kick in until like 20 minutes into the movie like i don't know if you noticed but like the first 20 minutes of this movie it's all just like ambient sound it's like subway oh, nice. noises and like traffic noises I'm for and shit it. like that i yeah, like it was it cool because it's it sets really cool the tone of those environments and when someone's walking through snow sometimes just the crunch of the snow under the feet is enough of a soundscape for me absolutely so right, anyway sorry. Go to GamingNexus.com for Eric's written reviews. You can find him on Twitter at Eric underscore Hotter. YouTube page is Eric Hotter. You can find me at Podcast by Jeff on Twitter. Check out the movie Draft House and also my other podcast, 10-Week Pro Wrestling uh, Crash Course that I am doing with the aforementioned Elliot, teaching him all about professional wrestling. And we will see you next week for Jurassic World. Bye, y'all.